hope you'll take your copy of God's Word and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We'll begin in verse 8, and we're going to read all the way through chapter 6, verse 9. If you have one of our cart Bibles, you can find that on page 555. uh, As uh, Elder Campelli prayed just a few minutes ago, I'm grateful for those prayers. Uh, But he was right to ask that we might see uh, God's blessing and his provision, uh, because in large part, that's what our passage is telling us this morning, that we might see God's provision and his generosity for us. So before we turn uh, and study, won't you join me in prayer one more time? Gracious Lord and God, we thank you for how you provide for us. Lord, you do so in many ways that we don't even see. You care for us with great generosity and love. Lord, sometimes we can take advantage of that and we can sin using the gifts that you've given us. Lord, would you keep us from that? Would you keep us focused on Christ and seeing how you provided him for us and how you provide for all of our needs? Lord, as we study together, will you be with us and bless us? We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here now from Ecclesiastes chapter 5, beginning in verse 8. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, Whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil, just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation, and sickness, and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in the darkness its name is covered. 
Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Well, thus ends the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. May he add a blessing as we study together. Now this morning, I want to begin with a question. Uh, my wife grows tired of my Socratic method of conversing. Uh, she's like, just tell me what you're thinking and stop making me guess it. So I'm not going to make you guess, but I want to begin with a question. There's one question that Lord willing will answer by the end of our study together. It's one of the main questions Solomon is seeking to answer throughout the whole book of Ecclesiastes. The question, how can I be satisfied? How can we be satisfied with our lives? Now, with a casual reading of Ecclesiastes, uh, you might consider the answer, or even seeking the answer, to be vanity. To be that word, that hevel that we've talked about before. And you'd be right with a casual reading of Ecclesiastes. Solomon has tried everything. I mean, quite literally, he has tried everything that there is to try. And if we're honest, isn't that sort of what we'd like to do sometimes? We wish we could try everything and fulfill every desire of our heart. Now, maybe we're not quite the same way. Maybe we've grown up and we've matured and, and we know the facts that we will never get to try everything that our heart desires. So as you've grown up and matured, maybe you realize that you won't ever own that winter home in Florida or you won't own that super speedy sports car that you pull out when the sun finally comes out in March or April. Maybe you look back and you realize, I never got to date that person that I really wondered if it would have worked out with. Maybe you think those things. We've all yearned. We've all desired for something. Now imagine that desire grows and it grows and it grows and it grows until you're unable to stop it. That's what's happened to Solomon. His desire has grown beyond his control, and he's seen what's happened to himself. He has seen what happens to others when this desire grows into an insatiable greed. It's like in that movie Pirates of the Caribbean, if you remember the film. It's a film about Jack Sparrow, or Captain Jack Sparrow. He lost his ship to a mutiny. Then the new Captain Barbosa uh, leads the pirates to find a treasure that's, that's cursed, so Barbosa explains the cursed treasure in this way. He says, find it, we did. There be the chest, inside be the gold. And we took them all, we spent them, traded them, and frit them away for drink and food and pleasurable company. But the more we gave them away, the more we came to realize the drink would not satisfy. Food turned to ash in our mouths, nor any of the company in the world could slake our lust. We are cursed men. Compelled by greed we were, but now we are consumed by it. That's the warning in our passage this morning. Don't be consumed by greed. Doesn't answer the question, though. How can we be satisfied? So through our text this morning, I hope the Lord will show us with his blessing the answer to that question. 
It's going to wrestle with this idea of this insatiable greed in trying to answer this question of how can we be satisfied. So we're going to go through the text almost twice. It might in some ways feel like two sermons. We're going to go through the text and we're going to see the dangers of greed. We're going to see the love of money. And then we'll pause and we'll relook at this text and see God's provision. That's where we're headed this morning, to see the love of money and see the Lord's provision. So as we begin with the love of money, our passage begins with two verses that are really quite curiously placed. Uh, Verse 8, if you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. How did Solomon get from verse 7, if you were with us last week, or if you were familiar with Ecclesiastes, how did we get from verse 7 where it says, excuse me, where it says, uh, God is the one you must fear. In this section previous to ours, Solomon gives us commands and ends with this command, God is the one that we must fear. How does he get from that to talking about governments and oppression and injustice? And it's here that that some commentators want to point out that perhaps Solomon isn't thinking too systematically. He's not moving from one logical thought to another, but he's thinking uh, proverbially. What I mean is when you read the Proverbs, the thoughts don't always flow. It's one true thing and another true thing and another true thing. But Solomon, I believe here, is thinking quite systematically. What happens when people don't fear the Lord, when they disobey this good and godly wisdom to fear him? Well, injustice happens. When you don't fear the Lord, oppression occurs. It's not just from one official. It goes all the way up to the wrong. It's one official uh, is looked at by others who's looked at by others, and the implication here is that it goes all the way up to the king. And we see this. We know how governments work. We are sinners in, in institutions that are broken. So we know that injustice and oppression happens, so don't be amazed. Don't be surprised by it. We know how this works. People, they want power and they want money and they want influence and they seek more of it. And when they see someone else perhaps that they consider in a station below them getting more, they want more of it themselves. They want more of it themselves. And so it just creates uh, corruption. But there is some good that a government can do. A king committed to cultivating fields, well, that's, that's gain. That's a benefit. Yes, a king who provides for his people to make sure that they're fed, that's a good thing. So Solomon chases this thought logically, chases it systematically. He goes on to verse 10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When a king is is committed to planting crops and to feeding his people and to to take care of his people, it creates opportunity creates opportunity for people to get rich that people can take advantage of. It's an opportunity to gain more and more. But here's the warning. It can't satisfy you. Though that opportunity is there, it can't satisfy you to seek more and more and more. It's like a great monster just seeking who it can devour without thought to who they hurt or exploit in the meantime. And where greed is concerned, it affects others, it infects others as well. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. When there's more available, more people want a piece of it. 
Greed brings envy as well. I see what others have. I see their gain. I see how, how well life seems to be going for them, and I want that. I want to get what's mine. I want, I want, I want. Do you hear it? Beware. Beware of this. This desire for more and more and more. It, it might not be money. This is specifically talking about money and, and goods and an economy. But it might be more things. More food, more drink, more status, more power, whatever it might be. Beware the temptation that whatever it is, it's not enough. Now, I want to be clear. This is not just a desire to have your needs met. It's right and proper to want to have your needs to be met. But this is going beyond that. This is a sinful desire for more that you don't have. I also want to be clear. It's not a sin to be wealthy. But greed, selfishness, envy... These are the sins that this passage is telling us to deal with. And this also isn't telling us to take a vow of poverty. Verse 12, sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Now the worker, the laborer here, isn't depicted as someone who's struggling to find something to eat or in desperation, just simply stated the laborer's able to eat. Whether it's much or little, he sleeps soundly. So it's not calling us to a vow of poverty or something like that. But this is a litmus test of sorts. Can you sleep soundly? It's not necessarily about sleep, but it's about your conscience. Is your soul at peace? Is your spirit resting in what God has given you? Or are you consumed with the desire for more and more? So we have a warning to to test ourselves, to check whether we are satisfied, whether we're resting in the Lord. That test goes a little further, continuing on in verse 13. There is a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. Now this phrase, grievous evil, it's kind of a strange phrase in Hebrew. It, it combines two words. It's the verb to make sick, to be sick with the word evil. Does this make you sick? Not only does it keep you up at night, are you anxious about getting more and more and, and what you can achieve, but it's turn your stomach to think about it, to think about losing it. It's a sickening evil to think about losing them, perhaps. Really, this phrase only really shows up here in Ecclesiastes two or three times. It doesn't appear anywhere else in Scripture, but here in this clear teaching about greed, it's part of this way that we can test ourselves. Does it make you sick to think that people that haven't worked for what you have will, will end up with it one day? Verse 14. That's where verse 14 ends up. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. If you lose it in a bad venture or... Uh, some commentators take this to mean that uh, he doesn't have anything to leave to his son. Either way, he finds this sickening that, that whatever he has, he doesn't get to use the way that he wants it. Because he knows in the end, as we've heard before in Ecclesiastes, that everyone dies. So as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again. 
naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. That's that sickening evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. What gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. Do you see the picture that's getting painted here? It's someone who, it's, it's so morbid. He's so consumed with himself and so consumed with, with greed that he just, he sits in darkness and he's vexed and he's sick and he's angry, all because either he doesn't have as much as he wants or he knows that he's not going to be able to keep it or he's lost. It just creates this sickening feeling. This is, this is Ebenezer Scrooge. This is someone alone on Christmas, only concerned about what his business is doing and not where his family or his friends might be gathered. He can't see what's all the way around him. He can't see all the ways that the Lord has blessed him. He's so focused on himself and his own greed that he makes himself sick. That's the picture here. Now, you, you might think, as I did as I, as I began studying this passage, well, like, at least he's rich. At least he gets to enjoy his wealth to some degree, right? But that's not the case. Verse, uh, excuse me, chapter 6 begins, There is an evil that I've seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him the power to enjoy them. But a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. In, in Solomon's mind here, the wealthy person isn't even able to enjoy what God has given him. God might have, have blessed him with everything that money can buy, but he can't enjoy it because he's so obsessed with having more, getting more, making sure he doesn't lose anything, making sure that he has an inheritance to live behind. That's what he's obsessed with. He can't even enjoy it. And this is what greed does. It drives us absolutely mad. It keeps us from seeing the reality around us. It keeps us from seeing how the Lord provides. So how far does Solomon say this greed goes? He goes so far as to say that a person who's like this, it's better that they would never have been born. That's where Solomon says that greed goes. So we could come all the way down to the end of our passage in verse 9, chapter 6, where the conclusion is better the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. In other words, better to look and see what you have than to let your appetite, your greed, get the best of you. So now, if we were to stop there, if we were just to say, that's what the Word of God says, uh, we could take some things away from it. We could see how destructive and evil greed is. We can see what it does to a person and we can see that it's, this is the nature of sin. It's sin that leads to death so much so that it's better you wouldn't have even been born. And let's be honest. We're sinners. Sometimes we tend towards greed. And we need to repent of that. And we need to guard against it. But that's not all that's happening in our passage. Just as this passage give us, gives us this, this litmus test so that we might recognize greed in ourselves and repent from it, the passage also gives us hope passage shows us how God provides. So let's look back and see God's provision. So we return to the beginning. 
we return to where we are not surprised or amazed to see oppression and injustice. But a king committed to cultivating fields is gain in every way. What do we know of governments? What do we know of kings? Well, Romans 13 tells us that God appoints them, that they have no authority except from him. So God is sovereign over governments. Even though evil might and certainly does happen because of rulers, because of authorities or governments, God is still sovereign over them. He is working his good purpose through governments and leaders, period. So don't be amazed when you see oppression. Right? We need only check the news, and we can see it today. Right? Don't be amazed, but be thankful when we have leaders that are seeking our good. And when there are leaders that are truly perpetrating evils, that are committing atrocities, know that God is sovereign. Rest in him. Rest in his provision. So yes, God provides even through governments. God provides our money itself. The Lord is our provider. So we consider money and, and the things that are going on in, in Ecclesiastes. We're reminded of, of Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set his world. He's the one who makes wealthy. He is the one who makes poor. He's our provider. Yes, God uses secondary causes to carry out uh, his provision. You might not understand what I mean by, by secondary causes. Perhaps you've heard the joke uh, that there's a storm coming and a man is, is trapped. So a guy drives by in a car and says, hey, do you want to hop in? I'll, I'll, I'll get you to safety. We'll get out of here. And he says, no, 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 the Lord, the Lord will take care of you. So the water begins to rise and flood, and a guy floats by in a boat and says, hop in, we'll get out of here. And the guy says, no, 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 the Lord will provide. He'll take care of it. The water continues to rise, so he climbs up on his roof, and a helicopter flies by and throws him a rope and says, grab on, we'll get you out of here. And he says, no, 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 it's okay, the Lord will provide. So he ends up at the pearly gates, uh, naturally. And he says, what happened? I, God was going to provide. He says, you had a car and a boat and a helicopter. What more do you want? And now there's some... Theological issues with the, with the joke. But the point stands, right? Sometimes God provides in, in extraordinary ways. But if you need money, get a job. The Lord provides, right? More often than not, he uses ordinary ways like that. If you need help, ask. Ask the Lord for help. The Lord provides, Look again at our passage, verse 12. The Lord provides food and sleep. Not everyone eats all the time or eats as much as they would like. Uh, no one sleeps perfectly all the time either. I know some of you have trouble sleeping. This isn't an indictment. If you don't have food or you can't sleep, this isn't saying that God is judging you or he's displeased with you in some way, but he may be teaching you reliance on him, calling you to a deeper commitment with him might be teaching you humility. The Lord provides. Whatever your circumstances, the Lord provides. 
That's a truth that we have to come to time and time again. The Lord provides. And whether or not you can leave great wealth to your children, when you die, the Lord provides. In fact, it's the Lord himself who gives children in his wisdom. It's the Lord's timing, his wisdom for children. And that timing might be never, and that's okay. That's difficult to hear. It's difficult to hear that the Lord provides when you're hungry. It's difficult to hear that the Lord provides when you have a good and godly desire like children, and they never come. But it's true. The Lord provides. Now, I, I say all this to you as a man who, really, I've, I've suffered very little. Growing up, my family was, was really poor, uh, but we never wanted for food. My mother worked tirelessly to stretch every dollar that we had uh, to provide food and clothes and, and cover a lot of medical expenses uh, for me, for my sisters, for herself. My dad worked long hours as an editor at a paper, and he would even uh, do freelance work on the side to make a little extra money. But the paper that uh, was his full-time job, they uh, got bought out by another company, and they said, sorry, we're bringing in a new editor. They let my father go. Knowing all of these expenses and our financial situation, my dad thought, well, where can I get a job today? Uh, and so he remembered all the stories that he'd written, all the stories that he'd covered uh, for our small town. So he went down to his friends at the Department of Public Works or whatever it's called in tiny Dayton, Tennessee. He went down there and got a job that day as a garbage collector, riding on the back of a truck while he was looking for something else. Uh, did he do that? Yeah. But the Lord did it. The Lord provides. My parents speak of that time in our lives very humbly because they know it's from the Lord. The Lord provides what we need. We also need to keep in mind what it is that we need. Certainly we need food and money and rest and children would be nice. But what we all need is God himself. Every single person, whether rich or poor, has need of Christ. We are sinners in need of a Savior, and the Lord provides. In fact, one of the first places in Scripture we see Christ uh, prophesied as a sacrificial lamb, a sacrificial Savior, is in Genesis 22. Listen to what is said in Genesis 22. Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son, Isaac said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. The passage goes on, and Abraham binds Isaac and lays him on the altar and is about to strike him. It says, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up, as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. The Lord provides. He has provided us with Christ. No matter your circumstances, remember him. Remember Christ and what he's done for us. And so finally, we come back to our question. How can we be satisfied? 
It's a question we began with, and it's a question we, we still have yet to answer. Now, I'd encourage you all to read through uh, this section uh, in the weeks, days to come. There's a lot here. There's a lot to cover. But one of the themes that you might notice in this section, if you read it a couple of times, is you'll notice this theme of, of sight. Chapter 5, verse 8, if you see in a province, you see in a province oppression. Verse 11, when goods increase, they increase who eat them, and what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Verse 13, there is a grievous evil I have seen under the sun. 18, behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. Now these things we've heard before. They're part of Ecclesiastes. We've studied them as, as I have preached, as Pastor Kerr has preached. We know that it is the Lord who gives good gifts. So how can we be satisfied? We'll see what the Lord has given. See how the Lord provides. That's how we can be satisfied. See all the ways that he has blessed you. That's where our passage ends, isn't it? Chapter 6, verse 9. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. Better to see what the Lord has given you than to let your greedy desires fuel you. In all things, we ought to be most satisfied with Christ. He is our deepest need, our deepest desire. His sacrifice on the cross satisfied God's justice. And so in him, we can be most satisfied. Yes, the Lord provides for our physical needs. But our deepest desire that we can rest in is that he's given us Christ. The Lord has given us Christ. How can we be satisfied? See Christ. See what the Lord has given us. That's the answer. How can we be satisfied? See Christ. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for how you have provided for us. Lord, whatever our situation, we know that we can be most satisfied in Christ. Thank you for him. Thank you for what he has done for us. May you put that in front of us. Father, what a blessing it is to have a testimony like your servant Paul, who said, I desired to know Christ and him crucified among you and to know nothing else. Father, would you put that ever before us? Help us to remember Christ, that you've provided for our sins, that we can be reconciled to you. Father, help us to ask in faith how we can come to know you more. Help us to ask in faith, faith for those things that we need. Father, thank you, as we've said many times already, Father, thank you for Christ. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.